The reading this evening is from John chapter 3, verses 1 to 15, and this can be found on page 887 of the Church Bibles. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not, you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Thank you very much. And uh, let me pray as we begin. Lord Jesus, we pray that as we continue our studies in the person of the Holy Spirit, that you would teach us more about who he is, not as an academic exercise, not as a matter of uh, interest, but as a matter of joy and thanksgiving for this person of the Holy Spirit of whom we are learning indwells every believer. Lord, we pray too for any listening or who are here who are not yet Christians. We pray that tonight as we consider the work of the Holy Spirit in Christian conversion, that you would take away the scales from our eyes and really understand what goes on when someone becomes a Christian. And might it be, and may it be, that someone here or someone listening will come to Jesus Christ tonight and make Him, or be made to make Him, their Savior and their Lord. And we ask that in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen. I want to give you an image to keep in your minds, and then I'll explain where we're going. So, I have two favorite rivers. Okay, I don't like big rivers, and I don't like tiny rivers. They're kind of streams, but too big to kind of walk in or walk over, that kind of stream. Now, here's number one, my favorite streams. It's the stream that runs that connects all three reservoirs in the Pentlands. So, the bottom reservoir in Flotiston, 
You go to the top of the first reservoir, there's a stream that goes to the second, there's a stream that goes to the third, and there are two waterfalls in that stream. And very often when I'm out walking there, out cycling there, I stop and I sit down and I just, uh, I think it's beautiful, the reservoir, especially in the summer when the hills are silver with the heather in the sun. That's number two, though, on my list. The top stream is a stream in Orkney, halfway between uh, Scarabray and the kind of main town, and in a place called Yesnaby. There are cliffs there, and this particular stream is about as far away from that end of the walk as it is from that end of the walk, and therefore there are very few people who get to the stream. And it's a wonderful stream that comes down from the hill, and it bubbles, and it's full of life and plunge pools and all that kind of stuff, and then it cascades off the rocks into the sea and sets up a kind of plume of spray. Now, that's my favorite stream. Now, one of the best images in the Bible to describe the Holy Spirit is like a stream of living water welling up within you. Now, tuck that away in your mind, and if you get distracted by anything I say between now and when I recover that image, just think of the image, and uh, we'll come back to it later on. Now, our series, as has been prayed, is Knowing the Person of the Holy Spirit. Now, I've given you quite detailed notes tonight because we're going to pause the series at the end of tonight and then pick it up again after Easter. So if you pick up the sheet that I've given you, it'll be helpful just as we navigate uh, through this. Now, if I was to pick a couple of key text verses for our series, and we looked at these right at the beginning, it would be John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17, and John chapter 16, verse 7. This is the upper room discourse. Jesus is preparing to leave his disciples, and he says this. You can see it on the sheet. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. The word helper is paraclete or counselor. It means the Holy Spirit to be with you forever. And then these extraordinary words, you know him, that is, you know the Holy Spirit, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And these are little words, but they mean so much. You know the Holy Spirit, he says to his disciples, for he dwells with you. And they know the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit they have seen through the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. You know him, for he dwells with you in my life, Jesus says. And then these even more extraordinary words, he will be in you. Not with you, he will be in you. You know him because he's been with me, Jesus says, but now he will be in you. And then uh, these words, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. And the extraordinary concept that Jesus is laying before them and us, it's better that he is absent with the Father, and that the Holy Spirit is present in the church. It is to your advantage. Now, by this stage in the sermon series, we get a favorite hymn. That's the hymn of the series. That's the first line of it. Jesus, I my cross have taken all to leave and follow thee. And that wonderful verse, think what spirit dwells within thee. Think what father's smiles are thine. Think that Jesus died to win thee, child of heaven, canst thou repine. And if you're here that week, you know what the word repine means. And it means stop being frustrated, stop moaning, stop looking and searching for something because you have it all in Christ. That's what repine means. Now, 
Why are we taking time to work through this series on the person of the Holy Spirit? Because all of our instincts are to get to the bit in the New Testament which talks about the Holy Spirit indwelling me and indwelling you and all that it means to have the Spirit in our life as Christians. But what Jesus is saying to us is, look, before you consider the Holy Spirit in your life, get to know who He is. He's got a biography long before He comes to indwell you. Know who He is and get your head around who He is so that when you consider Him indwelling you, you will think, gosh, what an amazing thing that that person of the Holy Spirit indwells my life. Now, we've traced through all sorts of things. You see them on the sheet there. The Holy Spirit eternal at creation in the Old Covenant Christ, at Pentecost last time, and the two highlights on the sheet there are our focus tonight, the person of the Holy Spirit and the apostles, and the person of the Holy Spirit and conversion. And then in uh, a few weeks' time after Easter, we'll come back to uh, two or three, um, depending how many arms on the team I can twist to let me do three, the indwelling Spirit. So what does it mean to have the Spirit indwelling me? But by that stage, we'll be clear as to who He is that indwells me. That makes sense? So, the person of the Holy Spirit and the apostles. What I'm going to do is just to give you these headings and encourage you to go and consider this. We can't really cover everything on the person of the Holy Spirit in this length of series. And uh, were I to have had a, a sermon on the person of the Holy Spirit and the apostles, what I would have done is I would have shown you how the apostles had a particular role and designation from Jesus. And Jesus promised them in John 14 that He would lead the apostles into all truth. He inspired them, and they wrote down Scripture. He inspired them to preach, and they wrote down Scripture that we have, and we teach from, and we don't add to. So, He inspires them. He accredits them by performing miracles through them, and they speak uh, the gospel. Now, people could write a whole book on that stuff. I've just given you three headings and some Bible verses for you to go and uh, read yourself. And do ask questions if you have anything um, on that. What I want to get to tonight and to focus on one thing Sometimes we focus on too many things. I want us to focus on one thing, and it's a mighty big thing, is that what happens when someone is converted or when they become a Christian? What's going on supernaturally? And if you, say, invite somebody along to an Easter service, what, 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 what do you pray is going on in their life? Because there's a dimension going on which is entirely different from the kind of words that are heard and the responses that are given. There's a supernatural activity going um, on. So, our focus is the person of the Holy Spirit and conversion. And uh, I don't think I've ever achieved this before in my life. We're currently on page two of the outline after nine minutes and 44 uh, seconds. I think we should slow down. Okay. The person of the Holy Spirit and conversion. Now, the Bible passage I want us to have to the fore in our minds tonight is John 
chapter 3. So turn back there if you've got a Bible or on your phone. John chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. And uh, this morning, you had a, a kind of famous Bible passage on someone's conversion, Zacchaeus, who went to, uh, to, 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 to Jesus, was seeking him uh, extraordinarily. He was shocked at that. And tonight, we've got another very, very famous encounter between Jesus about faith with this man, Nicodemus. So, John chapter 3, verses 1 to 15, that was read. And let me just summarize the, the reading. Uh, this man called Nicodemus, there's a little striking uh, reference in verse 2, he came to Jesus by night. So, he came out of the night to uh, Jesus. He's a learned scholar. He's a teacher. Um, he is a uh, a, 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 a kind of God-fearing man. There's nothing insincere about him. Um, he's like a clergyman, someone like me, if you like. And uh, Jesus confronts him with an extraordinary statement that if you are going to enter into the kingdom of heaven, and it might have come as a shock to Nicodemus that Jesus is saying he is not in the kingdom of heaven, if you are going to enter into the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again. And Nicodemus can understand that. He doesn't get it. And let's not fall into the parody of, of, of saying he's stupid or he's obtuse. He's not. He just can't get his head around what Jesus is saying. How can anyone be born again when they are 30 or 40 or 50 or 60? That's what Jesus is saying. And there's no wriggle room. You must be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven. And then Jesus goes on to explain what that means. Now, let's consider the person of the Holy Spirit and conversion. Your conversion or you becoming a Christian has nothing to do with religion or reputation. Now, what I mean by that is that you would hope that somebody standing behind a lectern like this was a Christian. But standing behind a lectern like this does not make me a Christian. It's absurd to think it does. It's absurd to think that religious experience or background or affiliation or identity or credentials or any of these things makes you a Christian. I've got a wonderful little tableau uh, on my computer. It's a picture, and uh, it's a picture from the 19th century of a church down in Cornwall when the minister's preaching away in his pulpit, and someone in the congregation, there's a little uh, voiceover from someone in the congregation said, nudging their neighbor, saying, look, the preacher's been converted as they preach. Of course, that's plausible, isn't it? Now, Nicodemus is a religious leader. He is learned. He is sincere. There's nothing false about him. But to that religious leader, to that person who has always gone to the synagogue or always gone to church, Jesus says, you must be born again. Now, religion has nothing to do with conversion. That doesn't mean to say we're not religious. Can we are religious. Here we are. I'm standing up here, and you're sitting in rows, and you're all listening well. 
We are religious. We sing things, but religion does not convert us. Coming here doesn't convert you. We come here because we are or want to know what it means to be converted. It has nothing to do with religion, and perhaps this is closer to home in our culture. It has nothing to do with reputation. Now, it's not that, it's not that people think well of us. The issue is more that we think well of us, or I think well of me. That somehow I get my head around the fact that on the scales of humanity, I'm going to kind of weigh out on the average side of good, and God is going to look at my life, and He's going to weigh me against the average or against the mean, and He's going to say, look, uh, you've got a pretty good reputation, you've had a pretty good life, that is going to be sufficient for your conversion. Now, now we might know that's not how you're converted. If you're a Christian, you'll know that's not how you're converted. But let me just pause, and let's grasp this glorious truth that Christian conversion has nothing to do with religion or reputation, and is that not a wonderful thing? Imagine if our conversion was based on what we do religiously or who we are socially, morally, in our culture, and our society. We would never know as we navigate through life whether or not we were converted. Now, what is conversion if it is nothing to do with religion or reputation? It is a matter of uh, sovereign grace. That's the heading I've used. Uh, let's read John 3, verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nobody can control the weather. When I was a kid, you couldn't predict the weather. Now, you can predict the weather, but we can't control the weather. The wind will blow where it will. The sun will shine where it will. The rain will rain where it will. And so it is with the Holy Spirit. Christian conversion is the sovereign will of God. He determines when He will blow the wind of the Spirit into somebody's life. It might be associated with providences in their life or people that God has put in their life, but it's God to determine when the wind will blow. And if I was to describe all through my time as a Christian pastor, people I have seen become Christians, there is nothing that ties them together other than the fact that the wind of the Spirit blew through their life at some stage and in some way. It is a sovereign work of God. The wind blows where it wishes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Conversion is the sovereign will of God. And then second, conversion is an invasion of grace. Uh, I found that quote from uh, Jonathan Edwards, the great preacher who spoke a lot about conversion. Conversion is an invasion of grace in someone's life. It's not a kind of negotiated contract between any of us and God. 
It is the person of the Holy Spirit blowing, and I'll explain what the blowing of the wind of the Spirit feels like and looks like in your life, the blowing of the wind of the Spirit that leads to the invasion of grace into somebody's life. It is not grace plus my life, or grace plus my will, or even as we'll see, grace plus faith. Faith itself is a gift of God. It is an invasion of grace into somebody's life. Now, I put down there too, which is just born out of our experience, is that conversion can happen over a period of time or at a particular time. You know, when people say, can you pinpoint a particular moment when you were converted? And uh, I think relatively few people can. They can look back and say, oh, I am. They can look back and say a gradual dawning or a gradual awareness. But what you must be able to look back on is a period in your life or where you are now when you understand that God's opened your eyes, opened your heart, and the wind of God's Spirit and the Spirit of God invaded you with grace and mercy. My experience, it usually happens over a period of time, but sometimes at a particular time. Let me tell you about the rare example of the particular time. I can remember him. I won't use his name because you might know who it is, and you'll probably tell him even though I ask you not to. This uh, man used to come along to church, used to come along to church, and it was like a brick wall, like a brick wall, and, and there, was, there was something stopping that invasion of grace. And he and I read the Bible together in a little cafe. And it was like, um, it was like a clash all the time. It, it was just hitting a brick wall, hitting a brick wall, hitting a brick wall, and including him at one point getting up and walking out and leaving me to pay the bill. And then one day on a communion Sunday, I could see it happening. All the scales fell off his eyes. everything became clear. It's not because I had cracked it and used a certain phrase or whatever it was. It was an invasion of grace in his life. And sometimes I think God shows you these dramatic conversions in order for you to know that conversion is dramatic, whether it's over a long period of time or an instant. So, conversion is the work of sovereign grace. Now, there are two things that happen when someone is converted, and you'll see these on the sheet there, conviction and regeneration. Now, I think implicit in what uh, John says here in chapter 3, and of course, he comes to this later on, Jesus comes to this later on in his gospel, uh, there is conviction of the Holy Spirit. Uh, spirit. Now, let's read, um, turn to John chapter 16, verse um, 8 to 11. John chapter 16, verses 8 to 11. And when He comes, this is Jesus speaking, and the He is the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin 
and righteousness and judgment. He will convict the world concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you'll see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Now that's such an important statement of Jesus. What happens when someone is converted, and remember this can happen over a period of time, the person of the Holy Spirit convicts that person of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Now, let me explain it like this. There's a wonderful hymn by a man called Robert Murray McChain that expresses this really powerfully. That I always was persuaded that I was a sinful person. And I never found it hard to persuade myself or to persuade anyone else that they are sinful as human beings. We all are sinful in our hearts. There is so much that we are all ashamed of, so much that we have said and done that is wrong. You can hear that and consider it and agree with it. What about concerning righteousness? That in order to get right with God, I understand that Jesus died and He provides me righteousness. And that's a concept that I can easily understand. And also judgment, that if I do not trust in Jesus, there is judgment. That is a logic to the gospel. Here's what happens, though, when the person of the Holy Spirit convicts. He takes truth about sin and righteousness and judgment, and he gets a grip of your heart and your mind, and it becomes an urgent thing. So you are convicted of guilt with regard to sin, that sin is a big deal, and I need to sort that to get right with a holy God. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. It happens as the Word of God is preached, as it is sung, as it is studied, as someone reads with you. You become concerned about sin. It matters that it's forgiven. And you become concerned about where you will find righteousness. And you might become concerned when you come under the conviction of the Holy Spirit that the places you looked for righteousness, like religion like Nicodemus, or life like us in our middle-class world, is not substantial. And that's what leads people to come and look and search and go to a Hope Explored class. It's conviction. And conviction concerning judgment. That if we do not do anything about it, judgment will come. Now you see why it is so important that in all of our desire to be accessible and articulate and culturally engaged, all of which are very, very important, and the challenge for the church is to do that and hold on to the simple gospel message, because you cannot be converted unless you are convicted by the Holy Spirit of your sin and your need of forgiveness and the righteousness that you need and the righteousness that you will not find in religion or in life, and the judgment that will fall on you if you do not find the answer. Now, one of the dangers 
in history is that people like me would, would kind of wind up a congregation emotionally to, to warn them against judgment and, and plead with them to, to give their lives to Jesus. Now, that might lead to some kind of response of fear, but it's got to be the Holy Spirit that does it. But it's so important in our presentation of the gospel that we are clear, as clear as Jesus is, that in order to be converted, there needs to be conviction. Conviction. your heart almost growing cold. That feeling in the pit of your stomach, fear, that an unforgiven sinner is under the judgment of a holy God. And to be woken up to that truth, whether young or old, is frightening, but very wonderful. <laughs> for it leads to salvation. Now, I put down there, um, you'll see at the end of our passage in, go back to John chapter 3, uh, if, if conviction is at work in Nicodemus' heart, and it may well have been. See how the chapter ends? Verses 13 to 15, no one has ascended into heaven. This is John 3 except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. But whoever believes in him may have eternal life. What happens when you come under conviction of sin? You become convicted about sin and righteousness and judgment, and then you discover that the same person of the Holy Spirit that is convicting you, that's putting you in the dock, as it were, and pronouncing a sentence over you, inclines your mind and your heart and your sight to Christ on His cross who bears your sin and gives you His righteousness and removes your judgment. You see what's happening? See, you cannot be led to the cross for salvation without first being led to conviction about sin and righteousness and judgment. For that leads you to see on the cross Christ bearing your sin, Christ's righteousness being given to you, and the judgment for sin being borne by Christ. Now, what do people do when they come under conviction of the Holy Spirit? They resist, and there are plenty of examples of that in Acts 2. I've given you there in Acts chapter 4. Sometimes the resistance is sheer hostility. They will not have it. They will drum the preacher out. Apparently in St. Helens, Dick uh, Lucas would tell this story way back in the day uh, when Whitfield or Wesley, um, whoever, whichever one of them was, preached in St. Helens, the church warden said to him in the end, you will never preach here again because he preached the gospel. So sometimes there's hostility. But then wonderfully, many yield. Many yield to that conviction and give their lives to Jesus. Conviction of sin, righteousness, and judgment, often over a long period of time or a 
short period of time, sometimes in a very, very short period of time with a dramatic urgency. My application and question to you is if you are under conviction of sin and of righteousness and judgment, uh, do not resist it, but yield to it. What happens next in conversion, or at the same time it's all fused together, uh, is uh, regeneration or new birth. So in John chapter 3, it's born again, born again, new birth. If I said to you, uh, have you been born again? Are you a born? Somebody once asked me that in London at Speaker's Corner. Uh, Are you a born again Christian? I said, yes. And the man looked really disappointed. (laughs) I think I was a born again Christian who didn't use the right Bible, perhaps. But are we Are we not a little bit ashamed as Christians of the language? Are you born again, brother? That's normal language for the Christians. Are you born again? Now, regeneration is a better word, I think. It's got got that sort of understanding of, 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 of what it means to be born again. Regeneration, new birth, born again, baptism in the Spirit. They're all synonyms of the same thing. So if you read in the Bible, baptism in the Spirit, that's what this means. New birth. It is miraculous. So here we are. Becoming a Christian is miraculous. How is it miraculous? Well, You're born again. You become a new person. You're made alive in Jesus Christ somehow. It is absolutely necessary. So look at John 3, verses 3, 5, and 7. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Verse 5, Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Verse 7, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. So it's a a, a great three-point sermon. Point one, you must be born again. Point two, you must be born again. Point three, you must be born again. And if somebody famous in the past, I think uh, Whitfield, this woman said to him, why do you keep saying you must be born again? You know the answer? You must be born again. You must be born again. It is miraculous. It is necessary. Being regenerated is necessary to become a Christian, to enter the kingdom of heaven. And how does it happen? Through the person of the Holy Spirit indwelling us. Now, I wanted to turn to one more Bible reference tonight, back to Ezekiel chapter 36. And uh, I've got a church Bible so I can give you the page number because Ezekiel is a hard book to find, uh, page 724. Ezekiel 36, verses 25 to 27. So this is a a prophecy written hundreds of years before the events that we're reading. Uh, Page 724 in your church Bibles. Ezekiel 36, verse 25. I will spring clean water in you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. Uh, And just listen to this way, way before Christ, I will give you a new heart, a heart transplant that is inside of you, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, 
And I will put my Spirit within you, the indwelling Holy Spirit, and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. What an extraordinary promise in the prophet Ezekiel about the regeneration that will happen in the new covenant in Christ when a Christian is uh, converted, when someone is converted uh, to Christ. Now, there's another reference there you can look up yourself. Now, let me just touch on the two key verses in John 3, back on the sheet. John chapter 3, verse 3, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I say to you, this is verse 5, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, that's led to endless controversy. What does it mean to be born of water and the Spirit? All that John is doing is picking up with Nicodemus, this learned scholar, these references in Ezekiel where water is associated with the Holy Spirit. Now, what does water have to do with the Holy Spirit? Well, it speaks of cleansing, but the primary metaphor of water here when it has to do with the Holy Spirit is water. Now, we're back to my image. Can you remember that? Please nod. Water means life. Think of that stream at the bottom of the waterfall welling up, welling up, welling up. Now, that might be a better image for you than a dwelling person. It's like a, a, a stream. You are the source of a mighty river. It's welling up within you. Life. Water is a picture of cleansing and regeneration. Now, I've not said a thing about faith. Where is faith in this? So, what you hear from a preacher is repent and believe. Now, let me just put that out tonight and say repent and believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are really hearing that in your heart and you are not a Christian, that has got absolutely nothing to do with me saying it. It is everything to do with the person of the Holy Spirit convicting you of sin and of righteousness and judgment and hovering over your life as He hovered over the waters at the creation, and He is yearning earnestly to enter your life and to bring fullness out of emptiness and order out of chaos and to regenerate you and make you alive. That's what's going on. So don't go home and say, oh, the preacher didn't explain that very well. Say to God, God, you didn't explain that very well. Help me to understand. It's a mighty big deal if the Spirit that we met first in eternity and then at creation and then in the old covenant and then in Christ's life and then at Pentecost is hovering over your life, your life, your body, my body, and wanting to invade you with grace and make you alive. Don't resist Him. Yield to Him. Now, over the page. When we are born again through the person of the Holy Spirit indwelling us, when conviction gives way to regeneration and we are made alive and the Spirit lives within us, 
At that moment, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. You cannot have some of a person. Now, it takes a long time for that person to have all of you. But you cannot have some of that person. Think of marriage. Those of you who are married, Cameron and Rachel, just think of them. I won't get you to stand up, though. Think of a marriage. It takes a long time for a marriage to become a marriage that's been a marriage for many years, doesn't it? But when you are married, you are married. Two people as one flesh. When you are converted, there is your flesh and there is the Holy Spirit indwelling you that takes over your flesh and your mind and your heart and makes you alive. And here's the image that we started with. There it is, John 4, 14. John picks up this image of water, a spring of water welling up to eternal life. I'm thinking of that stream up in Yesdeby in Orkney. You must have a stream in your mind. Or streams of living water will flow from within him. And I'm thinking, and you're thinking, does he mean me? Is it possible that streams of living water will well up and gush out of my life? Just me, ordinary me? Absolutely yes. And what are these streams of living water? What is the effervescence that bubbles up in our life? It is, and there's a long list on the sheet there, it's all that stuff that will come to in the indwelling spirit. It is union with Christ and His glorious saving achievements. What wells up in my life when I come behind that table down there is that I am justified, and I know I am because the Holy Spirit assures me I am. I am justified, I am being sanctified, and I will be glorified, all because of the cross. That is some well of water springing up, isn't it? What else is issuing out of your life? And I can see it. I can see it in your lives in this church family. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Now, we'll get to that. It's the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is the fruit of the person who lives in you. That's what I see in you. And then there is gifting. And then there is speaking, then there is praying, and then there is singing. Ephesians 5, be filled with the Spirit and sing with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. But it's not all joy. Because sometimes the waters that well up in our lives are tears. And the Holy Spirit helps comforts, reassures, causes us to depend, causes us to trust. It is a truly astonishing, wonderful, miraculous thing that God's means of saving us is not simply to declare us forgiven, but to put His Holy Spirit into us, that even in this life and on this earth, that can well up with joy and love and peace and patience and all that stuff. 
and justification and sanctification and glorification in the future, gifting and speaking and praying and singing, helping and comforting, groaning, reassuring, depending and trusting. It is a wonderful thing to be a Christian. And if you are a Christian, imagine navigating through life without that. And one of the greatest lies of the devil is to pretend to people that they can. And one day the mass comes down and there is nothing there. So if the Spirit is blowing through your life, yield to Him. Do not resist Him. And let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank You for this uh, extraordinary passage as Jesus wrestles with this man of what it means to be uh, converted. We pray that every one of us listening here or online will be truly converted to Christ because we have come under conviction of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And we have become convinced of our need to sort out that problem in our lives. And we have been led to see Jesus Christ dying for us, giving us His righteousness, and taking away the judgment that we deserved upon Himself. And Lord, that wonderful, wonderful truth that is to be regenerated, born again, made alive. Help us, Lord, to hold on to these wonderful images and to realize who we are in Christ with all our failings and our struggles, that if the Holy Spirit of Christ is within us, we are converted and nothing can separate us from your love in Christ. And Lord, now as we come back for these few minutes left to this table of bread and wine, we come back to the cross where all of this was wrought and won for us. Help us to fix our eyes on Jesus Christ dying to save us. And we pray this in His name and for His sake. Amen.